the expectation of this industry is that we build curative solutions to diseases. And there's no doubt there's been terrific advancement of curative therapies. But I believe, Jeff, the greatest innovation from the industry in the next five to 10 years is going to be the ability to early screen patients for disease before they're symptomatic and to treat them so that hopefully they never get symptomatic. That was Andrew Hall speaking about one important advancement he sees occurring as a result of pharmaceutical research over the next five to 10 years. Pharmaceutical research trends, opportunities, and the future is again our topic on this episode, episode number 76 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Pharmaceutical research has played a huge role in improving the quality and length of human lives for many, many years. It has led to numerous breakthrough medicines and the discovery of vaccines that can effectively help prevent terrible, often fatal diseases, including COVID-19, the virus responsible for the pandemic that began early in 2020. In part one of this two-part series, we focused on how pharmaceutical research has changed over the past few decades. We also learned about some of the many countries where residents now participate in this research. Here in part two, we're going to learn about what impact COVID-19 has had on drug development, what advances and breakthroughs might lie ahead, including with cancer, and the many job opportunities the pharmaceutical industry offers. We'll also hear some cautionary words someone might heed when thinking about investing in drug stocks. Finally, we'll get some great suggestions on where you can learn about new drugs that are in the pipeline. To help us with all that, We've brought on an expert on this topic. He's Andrew Hall. Andrew Hall is the Chief Executive Officer at IMV Incorporated, a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on a promising new avenue of cancer treatment, immune oncology. Prior to joining IMV, Andrew spent more than 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, leading clinical and commercial strategy in the United States, Europe, and Asia-Pacific. Throughout his career, Andrew has been a part of many successful product launches and just as many product failures. So he brings insight into the complexity of drug development and what it takes to take what we know as a drug all the way from discovery to the pharmacy shelves. Originally from Melbourne, Australia, Andrew has lived in the United States for over 12 years. He now lives in the state of New Jersey. Andrew, I want to ask you about COVID now. We know it's had a dramatic impact on most of our lives, some far worse than others. What impact do you think it's having on the pharmaceutical industry overall and more specifically on pharmaceutical research? So there was a time when everyone in our industry universally jumped for joy when the world finally appreciated the difference that this industry could make when in 12 months time, I think four companies had successfully and at a rate that was just astounding, sequenced and identified a therapeutic that would 
take the world out of the COVID uh, malaise and hopefully rid COVID from being a reality in this world. And it was truthfully remarkable what this industry did. And it's, um, you know, a credit to all of the governments that lent in and all of the industry that sort of shared its technology to create a solution against a terrible pandemic. Unfortunately, we sit here today with COVID still being problematic around the world in a way that we, we didn't get the cure we were after. We got the, the temperance of the disease. And there's no doubt that vaccination has made a tremendous difference to you know, the survivability of, of COVID and the, the morbidity of the disease itself. But we, we didn't get to that evolution of a cure. Uh, and I think a lot of people felt let down by the industry and that capability because we promised, again, maybe something we could never uh, fulfill as an industry. What COVID really did from an industry perspective is that it restated how effectively we need to do research and how quickly good things can turn from a great idea to be a reality of solving for benefit. We learned that to do things quickly, you need to take chances. I can tell you there were 30, 50, 100 other COVID programs that never made it as far as the Pfizer, BioNTech, the Moderna, the J&J and the, the AstraZeneca's did simply because, you know, there is still that hit failure ratio in the industry. What COVID really did is just accelerated that and, and made the successes so much more wildly celebrated and made the failures so much more problematic that the technology that drove the Pfizer-BioNTech therapeutic as well as the Moderna therapeutic has been around for a long time, this mRNA as a therapeutic target, but it had never had the sort of right situation to shine as a therapy. COVID and the research and the money that was invested into that created now a, a therapeutic opportunity with this mechanism that hopefully is going to be expanded on and explored on to, to create other great therapies. And it's interesting that it took COVID to get it over the line, to get it to the point where it was usable. I think what we learn out of pandemic research is people take chances on therapy targets that they may otherwise not. And it gives the opportunity for those that are successful in those, you know, ambitious charges, great chance to be successful. And the reward is, is enormous. I, I'll step out of my benevolent um, changing the world for the good moment and step into sort of a, a corporate executive chance. Moderna as a company is now worth nearly $150 billion. That, that puts it sort of, you know, beyond household names that we know so well, this company is valued at 10 times some of those large names. And, and that's a reality of the disproportionate reward you get if you're successful. I can tell you there are another whole suite of companies that no longer exist because you know they invested in a COVID program that was unsuccessful. And there's a lot to take you out of that with the sort of the cutthroat nature of this industry. And in a space where everyone's accelerating so quickly to develop something in such a dramatic need, the reality is, Jeff, that that means you have to bet the house occasionally. And for Moderna and for the Moderna shareholders, they won. And that's great for them. But there were 20 other companies that went the other way. And the cutthroat nature of biotechnology is you have to invest a lot of money to take it to market. And that money is not recoupable if it doesn't make it. This is just so fascinating to me. A couple of things that I think of when you say this. Obviously, the one is the risks and the rewards within the pharmaceutical industry that you're just shining a bright light on, Andrew. The second one is something that I often like to think about in my own personal life and in the lives of other people. And that is that there's sometimes a silver lining 
to things and the developments that have been made because of COVID that, as you pointed out, could extend themselves to other diseases is a silver lining amidst a horrible situation in which yeah. a lot of people have lost their lives. Now we're going to come to one of the most important parts of looking forward. And in fact, why it's called looking forward. There are two reasons why. One is we like to look into the future. Since our topic is pharmaceutical research, I'd like you to talk about what you might see that will develop over the next five to 10 years in new pharmaceutical products that will treat certain diseases, new forms of research, new places where the research might be done, new consolidations or collaborations. What are you seeing? And you're certainly at a great company that's at the vanguard of this. Yeah, and, and we could speak for five days about this topic because there are so many positive iterations that this industry gets to drive when it, when it relates to you know, how things are being innovated for. I really believe that the next step of evolution, and, and particularly when it relates to, and I, I keep coming back to cancer just because it's a sweet spot, but you could probably iterate this on so many other diseases, is that point of early detection, early treatment, and their therefore more patients cured or more patients that are treating deadly diseases as though they're chronic conditions rather than a death sentence. That evolution has been tremendous. There is, you know, a number of diseases that only 10 years ago had a lifespan predictability of less than 12 months that people now live with for the rest of their lives. The expectation of this industry is that we build curative solutions to diseases. And there's no doubt there's been terrific advancement of curative therapies. But I believe, Jeff, the greatest innovation from the industry in the next five to 10 years is going to be the ability to early screen patients for disease before they're symptomatic and to treat them so that hopefully they never get symptomatic. And to do that, that requires such a sort of more detailed understanding of, of the human physiology and biology that drives sort of the condition in a natural state and then an altered state in disease. And the way this industry can sort of step in and and, and help the diseases never become fulminant. And you can create a, a really good case around work that's being done with sort of genetically predicting diseases now. And we know that there are subtypes of people in the world that have a propensity to develop conditions. There is now work being done to prophylactically, which means treating without any evidence of disease, prophylactically treat those patients in such a way that they may never get sick from a disease that they're genetically very predisposed to have. That's the easiest sort of way to answer that question. I could also go down a path of talking about personalized medicine. We know that, you know, within every disease that we bundle together as a disease, there are probably 50 or 100 diseases within that bundle that are all micro iterations of the same thing. And as we learn more about what drives and what causes those diseases to be fulminant, we learn more about the better way to individually treat therapies. One of the big challenges this industry has is you know, in any given circumstance, 30% of patients may not respond to a therapy. We don't know why that is. We just know that that's a reality. Yeah. And as we learn more about the condition and more about the biology that drives the condition, we can learn more about the pharmacology we can put into the system to make those patients that don't respond to the first thing respond a little bit better. So I think you will find that in the next five to 10 years, and, and this is a, you know, a, a prayer I'm sure I share with a lot of people, that there will be wild advancement in the improvement of those therapies. And the reality is, as we know what drives these diseases, we just have to get better at 
identifying them before they're problematic and, and, and creating therapies that are, you know, not just therapeutic, but also alongside changes in our healthy state so that these diseases become less obvious. So there's a, a huge amount of advancement. I, w- I don't want to say around the corner because that would promise too much, but the, you know, the, the genius level people that work in this industry, and I'm certainly not one of them that are working in the scientific labs and the early clinical endeavors to try and create therapeutic advancement. The good news is they're really good at what they do. And moments like the, the discovery of, you know, unique genes that are driving diseases all create momentum for better drug development. And that's why we stay in this industry because we haven't solved for it all. We don't live perfectly and healthily until we get taken off this mortal coil at 100. We have too many things that take away friends and family and loved ones at a premature rate. And that's a lot of what keeps getting me to the office and keeps getting me to the point where you want to make the world a better place. Yes. You certainly have plenty to keep you motivated for a while here. Just to, to reach back to something you said before and bring it to this topic, what impact do you foresee the learnings from COVID might have on some of these diseases, ones that are much more pronounced in our societies, than also stem cell research? Yeah, COVID's a, a, an easier one. We're, we're learning through the, through the experience of COVID that, you know, there is a lot of mystery still in the system that uh, needs to be explored before we consider ourselves good at anything. I think COVID has, has taught us that the normal way of going about doing a vaccination schedule is you take, they call it a sort of a, an attenuated virus or attenuated product that you put into the system, get the system to react. There are better ways of doing that. There are better ways of creating momentum for the immune system to respond than the old way. And so COVID has taught us to try new therapies. mRNA just appears to be a, a really good way of doing this. There are some things that other companies have, they call them virus-like particles that are a terrific way of creating an immune response that will certainly have benefit that go beyond COVID and maybe even beyond infectious disease. The COVID pandemic's given us a chance as an industry to very thoughtfully study these therapeutic modalities in a way that is figurative rather than exploratory. So there is a learning that a pandemic situation creates to explore new, new therapies when the first version of therapies fail an opportunity to then potentially build off that by trialing new and perhaps more experimental, less tested therapeutics has given an opportunity to shine. And if you didn't have that urgent need driven by a pandemic, then those second generations of therapies or those alternate mechanisms by which therapies can create value may never have had a chance to develop. Absolutely. And I was also wondering about stem cell research. And so Stem cells is sort of, it's an interesting concept and stem cells right now is applied very effectively in diseases like lymphoma, which is a, you know, a type of blood cancer. So after, you know, the the way it works is you, you are given a sort of a, a cocktail of cytotoxic agents we know as chemotherapy, and that is designed to basically try and wipe out the system to see if the system doesn't come back cancer infected. The stem cell therapy is if that fails, you introduce stem cells. So that is the, the pregenerative cells of somebody else into someone else's system. So taking them out of the system, putting them in a new system with the concept of trying to reorganize the bone marrow for a, a simple context that is no longer cancer generating. Lymphoma is unfortunately when your bone marrow starts making cancerous cells rather than positive cells. And the stem cell transplants that are working in that space 
have iteration to potentially work in a whole number of other spaces. And it is really exciting research. The challenge, Jeff, is there's still so much to know about what's the good and the bad of that. There are great examples of, and, and it's, a really, uh, it's a really icky topic if you don't think about it from a medical point of view, but a, a very interesting therapeutic advancement that's being made at the moment is fecal transfer, where you take basically stool samples from a, a healthy individual, put it into the, the, the bowel of an unhealthy individual, and it creates a change in the microenvironment in such a way that disease is being treated through that type of mechanism in a way that's never been thought of before. And that is another iteration of quote unquote stem cell treatment, even though it's not progenerative stem cells and it's not uh, sort of fetal blood or anything as complicated as that. It's just taking someone else's system, applying it into a new system that's perhaps disease affected. And it's showing some really interesting results. And that's all coming about because of the type of experimentation that a pandemic situation drives this industry too, where the first or the second or the third or the fourth iteration of something didn't work. Is there a fifth one we can trial? And as it just so turns out, these things uh, get a chance to, I guess, be accelerated in their timeline because of a disease like COVID that spread so profoundly. That sounds remarkable. It really does. Andrew, as you know, Looking Forward's name is also an upbeat name. Most of us tend to think positively when we're looking forward to something. And certainly on this podcast, looking forward to something refers to opportunities. As you know, many individuals have lost their jobs due to COVID. Others are always looking for new careers, new jobs. We've got students trying to figure out what major they're going to pursue, what field they're going to get involved with. And of course, probably particularly as it pertains to something like pharmaceuticals, you have investors and you have entrepreneurs. So I'm wondering, as you think about these different groups, are there any opportunities that you would see for any individuals who might fall within those groups? I think it's an interesting question from a number of levels, Jeff. And I know that in this COVID pandemic, the reality of the world that we live in, uh, the one thing that remains unchanged is healthcare. As we fall older and become less well, healthcare gets leaned on more heavily. It's no coincidence that people spend, and I, I'll probably get this statistic wrong, but it's in the vicinity of 80% of a per person's healthcare expenditure happens in the last two years of their life. Wow. And so this aging population, the fact that we are still ravaged by a global pandemic has, if anything, created a greater need and a greater awareness of the value that healthcare provides. I'm not saying people should step away from their careers as, as chefs or as bankers, but there is certainly you know, a, a consistency across ec economies in high times and in low times that is the need to provide satisfactory and good healthcare and the need to continue to innovate in an environment of improving health and improving life that this industry is uniquely positioned for. And you mentioned before with respect to, you know, people that have lost their job and people that have lost their way perhaps through the COVID pandemic. This industry covers a whole industry of bases. There are roles in finance. There are roles in development. There are roles in, you know, every iteration of what you could consider to be a professional service. This industry of pharmaceutical development has a space for and there is a safety net of consistency that we'll always need to stay well and we will always need to lean into healthcare. I would agree entirely. There are a lot of P 
pitches, I'll call them, Andrew, that you'll see buy this stock, buy that stock in this new pharmaceutical company. Before we get into something else that I want to ask you about consumers, is there any guidance you might give? I know you're not a professional investor or an investment advisor, but in general, what should somebody be careful about as an investor when they see these pitches? Look at this great new company, whether it's a penny stock or not, buy their stock. They're developing the latest cure for cancer. So usually before saying anything with respect to giving advice on future looking statements, we have a disclaimer that uh, prevents anyone taking my advice from getting into uh, getting into either legal or personal trouble on um, validating that in the market. But I will say this, that our industry is one of high risk and high volatility. I can give you a, a great example on a company like Moderna that two years ago was uh, a company that that barely registered as a relevancy in the whole industry space and is now worth equal to some of the industry's largest market caps. And so there has been a remarkable reward for that company, obviously, on successful innovation. And those stories exist. I could give you 10 other examples of companies that have broken through that innovation threshold and really created a huge amount of value. The challenge is, is when the technology doesn't meet the threshold that it needs to, there is no soft landing. Companies will just run out of funding, run out of money and cease to exist. And so there is an element of binary in biotechnology that perhaps doesn't exist in other markets, which creates that, you know, very exciting upside when it works, but the, the terrifying downside when it doesn't. And, and I think we talked about it a little earlier on, the rate of failure in this industry, despite us knowing so much more about the human genome, despite us knowing more about the system that makes us all up as human beings and all of the things that drive disease and prevent against disease, the rate of development failure still sits at a staggeringly high level. And that isn't because people throwing things against a wall and hope they stick. It's because drug development's hard. Drug development requires an amount of getting it right and, and, and in some instances, guessing early and being proven right later. And in any kind of um, forward-looking ambition on this industry, I really hope that that rate of failure comes down and that we get better at bringing more good therapies to market in a way that's more predictable because selfishly for my industry, it makes our industry a little bit easier to take, but it does create that sort of negative influence on volatility, which is always a lovely thing. The challenge and the reality is today, Jeff, this industry is difficult and complicated. And the recommendation I would always make is, you know, seek to learn. We, we as an industry are, are pretty good at, at sharing what we're driving towards, sharing what our ambitions are. And if something holds a personal passionate value, investing in better solutions for treating that disease is, is a really great way of remaining engaged into an industry. And this industry is nicely balanced by patient advocacy groups, by government regulation and all sorts of other things that do provide um, you know, a, a very patient-focused or a very, you know, non-savvy-focused perspective into how this industry is operating and what this industry is trying to achieve. That's great information, very helpful for people who might want to jump on the bandwagon of biotech and pharmaceuticals. It sounds so sexy. Related question, Andrew. Where's the best place for consumers to find out about new drugs that are in the pipeline? This industry exists as a sort of a conglomerate of healthcare providers. So large healthcare institutions like the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or 
you know, MIT, Harvard, Brigham Women's, all of these institutions have patient-focused information about the industry from a perspective that is not us as the company's driving development. They often have, for specific diseases, a, a look into the pipeline of interesting products and a perspective that I would consider as an industry person, unbiased by our own enthusiasm. The other obvious spot to look is the company's websites. Uh, if I talk about IMV for a moment, it's very clear what our pipeline of products is, how it's being directed towards market. It's also quite clear what our technology is. Now, when we write our public-facing statements, we do write it mindful that there is a wild separation between those people who have spent their life in science and those people that didn't enjoy 10th grade biology. And it's pitched at a level that's attempting to, to captivate both audiences. If you find a sort of a good medium of company information that is, to be very transparent, Jeff, always trying to find the upside and the bright side of what we're doing, and then independent perspectives on that, such as from Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic on the new and advancing therapies, you get a pretty good bridge of what the reality is of what's coming in the pipeline and what the reality is of how medicine is evolving. And then if you want to go one step further, we can't talk about anything we do scientifically until it's been put through peer-reviewed processes. These are the scientific journals. I would discourage anyone who is not a scientist from digging deep into scientific journals because they are sometimes difficult to read and understand. But if you do create that momentum for enthusiasm behind a certain product or a certain mechanism or a certain technology, then there's an amount of information through published medical information that is at another level of depth and complexity, but really does allow someone to dig in at a level that would be frankly surprising to people that have not tried it before. And you have to bring your education up alongside with you, but you do learn a lot very quickly by taking a specific interest and then digging into that. That is, again, great guidance. I really appreciate it, Andrew, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Now I'd like to invite you to let our listeners know about how they can find out more about you and your work, what IMV is doing and what it's all about, and anything else, Andrew, you'd like to share with them. I really appreciate that opportunity. And I remind you, IMV is a company based out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, originally with a technology that was built around providing contraceptive solutions for SEALs. Now, in the 10 years, 20 years post that moment, terrific evolution has happened on this technology. The reason that I, frankly, joined the company and the, the, the reason that I am excited about its future is that technology has iteration to change the world. The, the real foundation to the technology in the simplest level, Jeff, is that it enables therapies that have not met a certain threshold of potency or not met a certain threshold of target delivery. So that's created off-target challenges we've talked about before with um, tolerability or side effects, or also not met a threshold of uh, efficacy, which is the way the drug works. Our technology has the opportunity to improve that. And so we're spending our days and sadly nights and weekends um, improving on that technology to make sure that it, it has a chance to change the world. And if you're curious about IMV, I'd, I'd recommend a visit to the website. There is some terrific information. There is a slide deck that really nicely summarizes the, the, the technology and how it's being iterated. And as I mentioned before, the, the way we communicate is through scientific endeavor. 
And that information is very available to the public. And if you follow the company through the website, you'll see that that information is constantly evolving. And frankly, it's a, and it's exciting time to be at the company because we are now seeing the first benefits of that in some really nasty cancers. And there is some, you know, great opportunity for the company in the next six to 12 months to really expand on that and to build new therapies and potentially change the world for the better, which is the reason I do what I do. It sounds like a great place to be, Andrew. If you could let us know the IMV website address and also, is it a public company? So yes, Jeff, you are correct. We are publicly listed. Uh, we are traded on the, the NASDAQ and on the Canadian exchange. Uh, that does mean that uh, as a organization, we have to publicly disclose in a legal and thoughtful way all of the way the company transacts. If people are interested in the company more, the website is www.imv-inc.com. That's Indigo Mike Violet India November Charlie. And, and as I mentioned before, there is an information set on the website which is pitched at a level that is pretty understandable and hopefully creating a bit of enthusiasm for what we do. That's fantastic. And I imagine when they go to the website, will they see Andrew Hall? They will see Andrew Hall. That's they will see a, a photo of, uh, of me and my fellow executive members. We also see a, a board of directors that govern the, uh, the organizational intent. And, and frankly, a, a bit of a fun story of the history of the organization. And it's a, it, it's, it's a worthwhile trip, even if it's just on a level of curiosity. Well, I know for one, I'm going to check, Andrew, and I'm not going to wait too long to do that. I want to thank you so much for this wonderful conversation, for the information you've shared, the insights you've shared, and I wish you continued success personally and professionally, and I sure hope that we hear lots of great things coming out of IMV. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure. This concludes part two of our two-part series on pharmaceutical research trends, opportunities, and the future with our guest expert, Andrew Hall. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Andrew or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff-O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.